Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is the last of the four end times or eschatological parables. The talk about the end times or what happens in the end times. These are eschatological parables. These are eschatological thoughts. That is the theological word that you learn in seminary about uh, how things will end up. It is the study of end things. And there has been a study of uh, talents and of ten virgins and this one, which is just a pretty solid story about judgment. And we shall look about where it fits and what it means. But first, what is the parable? The parable is Jesus returns. And when he returns, he sets up his throne and he gathers all people in front of him, and he divides the righteous from the unrighteous, the saved from the unsaved, the sheep from the goats, and then he pronounces judgment. And in this parable, the judgment is based on what they did in relationship to Jesus, how they treated Jesus. And the saved will be welcomed into the kingdom that has been set up before the foundation of the world and the unsaved will go into a place of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so one question that can be asked in this very straightforward teaching is where does it exist in the end times if you want to make a name for yourself then study all the end time things and come up with a new order of events And then when you do that, if it takes off, you'll be famous, as many authors have in the past. And so we have to ask, when does this happen? You have things about the end times in Daniel. You have things about the end times in Ezekiel. You have things about the end times in the book of Revelation. And where do we put this, since this sort of judgment is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. If you look in Revelation near the end, then there is a long line of people and people are judged individually. Books are opened and their individual works are judged. And that is what the revelation in the book of that is what the judgment in the book of Revelation is. And so a lot of people have tried to place this in the eschatological future and where it would fit, and the the most conservative view of where to put this is this is a judgment of the earth when Jesus returns the second time. Now, how is the end times going to happen? There is going to be uh, somewhere in the last seven years of the earth there is going to be a rapture where the Christians, the believers who are alive, are going to be taken up. And there's movies like Left Behind and Thief in the Night and 
stuff like that that talks about what happens on earth and it's not pretty. What happens on earth is known as the tribulation. The last seven years of this earth's existence is called the tribulation. The last three and a half years of that seven years is called the great tribulation where God's wrath and man's anger toward God uh, come to a a point as they shake fists at each other and, and they yell at God and God sends fiery hail down. And at the very end of this, and there are things in the Great Tribulation that are in the book of Revelation, like the two witnesses that come, uh, great earthquakes that happen, things of this nature. And at the very end, where all of the nations of the world, all the kings of the world, gather all their armies in the valley of Megiddo for what has been known as the Battle of Armageddon, where all the kings of the world, all the armies of the world, set up battle lines to fight God because they want God out of this world, okay? They want Him gone, and so they're going to defeat Him with these armies. And it is at that battle that Jesus Christ returns. And he returns with his army of angels. He does not need an army of angels. They do not do anything except support. Jesus Christ does all the work and he wins the battle of Armageddon. Amen. And then this judgment takes place. This judgment, Jesus will set up a throne somehow, miraculously, probably create a throne. And everybody on earth at that time will be miraculously brought to the Middle East, to the uh, Jordan Valley, uh, that whole big area that you see in the back of your Bible on the maps. Uh, that area will fit everybody on the earth at that time, and there will be a throne, and Jesus will sit on the throne, and then he will divide by groups everybody that is left on earth when he returns. And you'll say, well, wait a minute, aren't all the Christians raptured? Yes, all the Christians back here are raptured. And there will be some who will see that and believe and get saved. You can get saved during the tribulation. There are the two witnesses that are expressing truth about Jesus. And people will hear that and believe and during that time, there will be those who become just so anti-God, even more extreme than it is today. But there will be others who say, hey, wait a minute, there's fiery hail coming down from the sky. That looks like God's doing. I'm going to believe in God and try to save myself. Okay, And so people will become believers during the tribulation. We don't know how many. The Bible is silent on that sort of thing. But it could be quite a large number of people who are saved during the tribulation. And so when Jesus Christ comes during the judgment, he will divide people by unsaved and saved, by righteous, by unrighteous, by believers, by pagan. And then he goes through something that confuses some people, and there have been songs written about this, and there have been commentaries written about this, that the only difference between the sheep and the goats 
is what they did. We have to look at this and say, is the Bible one story? Yes, the Bible is one story. The Bible is one story written by God, and the clear point of the new covenant that we are a part of is that we are not saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace have you been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So looking at this, Jesus is not judging their works as a means of salvation. A couple things we have to note. When Jesus is saying, you d if you do it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That is kind of a key as to what Jesus is talking about. Now, when Jesus says, my brothers, there's two ways to look at that. First, he had some real half-brothers, okay? Big family he came from. They eventually became believers. They were martyred. The first person to be martyred for his faith was a half-brother of Jesus Christ. But they're all dead and gone. So we either flush this because Jesus' brothers aren't with us anymore, or it means something bigger, it means something different. If you read through the New Testament, you and I are called the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. You and I are called joint heirs with Jesus. We are adopted into the family of God. When we are in the family of God, God's the Father, Jesus is the Son, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus in the family dynamics of eternity. And so the best way to look at it, the way that answers all the questions is, if Jesus is saying, you're not treating my brothers correctly, he is talking about Christians. He is talking about believers in him. Now you have, during the tribulation, people getting saved. When somebody gets saved, if you look through Revelation and how the tribulation is, probably there will not be a church on the corner with a big steeple where you can go on Sunday and worship. There will probably be great persecution of anybody who breaks with the uh, normal line that the government and the people will be having at that time, and that is God is evil, which is what the book of Revelation, as God is doing things to the earth, the people on earth curse God, okay? As, you know, fiery hail is falling, and so you curse God, and I'm not sure what they think is going to come from that, but they're calling God evil. They're calling God maniacal. They're calling God a bad guy in the book of Revelation. And there are people who are going to say, no, no, no. God is love and Jesus died for my sins and I accept him as my Lord and Savior during the tribulation. If they then put on a Christian t-shirt and start blasting Christian music in their car, they're going to be put in jail, they're going to be killed, they're going to be beat up because the people hate God so much, they hate the people of God. And so in this time frame, you are going to have Christians who are going to be hungry 
because they don't have the mark of the beast. They can't buy or sell food, okay? You're going to have Christians who are thirsty. You're going to have Christians who have been beat up such that they are naked. You're going to have Christians that are going to catch one of the various pestilence that are happening during the tribulation. They're going to get sick, or they just might get a cold. They're going to get sick. They're going to be Christians who are put in prison for their faith. And how the people of the world, if you are a believer and you're part of an underground church with these people, and somebody gets arrested, and if you were in a prison in the time of Jesus, uh, prisoners had no rights. Like today, you have all sorts of prison rights, and uh, some people have actually unionized some of the prisoners in some prisons across the country. And this didn't happen back then. If you did not bring food to a Christian friend who was in prison, they would get no food. Okay? If you didn't bring clothing to a Christian who's in prison, then they wouldn't get any new clothing. They don't get nice orange jumpsuits back in the time of Jesus' day. Prison was a hole that you were put in until you rejected Christ until you recanted who Jesus Christ is. And so, how people respond to Christians that are being persecuted is the best way to look at this judgment. Now, if somebody is being persecuted, the persecutor is not going to say, oh, I'm sorry, here, take my jacket. Okay? Uh, Like today. If somebody in this church is sick, we would know about it because we are a community, because we are a family together, and we would uh, visit if we could, if COVID would allow us. We would send cards at least. We're talking about uh, sending cards to those who have moved away. There There is a care, there is a love for those who are here, for those who were here, and moved away, and we respond to that in love and care. There is no other place on earth where you will get family-level love and care other than a Bible-believing church. You will not get the type of support. If somebody stumbles in and has been beat up and doesn't have clothes Any of us would give them our shirt, our jacket, anything, blankets. We would gather around them and cover them because they are part of the family. Because something has happened that we need to take care of as a family member that they are a part of. Now, you don't see even today non-Christians helping persecuted Christians. You don't see... Even places like Amnesty International has really moved away as an international organization from studying where Christians are persecuted. They're now looking at uh, where people are persecuted because of gender and not because of being a Christian or a Jew, which is why they were founded. And so the world is really turning away from even noticing when Christians are persecuted 
in the world, in places like China, where you've heard a lot with the Olympics about the Uyghurs and the Uyghur Muslims and how they're putting concentration camps to build our electronics and things like that, along with them, side by side with them, Christians were gathered up and there are thousands upon thousands of Christians. There's over a million of the Uyghur Muslims, but there's thousands of Christians that were caught up in the sweep and they're in concentration camps, but you never hear that on the Olympic news. You never hear that on anything that's happening in telling us about the world. And so you see the world moving away from even noticing when Christians are persecuted and back during the time of Jesus. And when you, so he's telling about a future event. But the people who are listening to it are saying, ah, you know, food and drink like I have today and clothing like I have today, and we can even do the same thing because there is persecution today. And I think the judgment that comes upon us is that if we are part of a church, if we are part of an organization like this, if we are a community, we need to look out for one another, we need to pray for one another, we need to, when the time arises take care of the physical needs of one another. And if there was heavy persecution, you talk about churches, secret underground churches in places like Iran, where nobody knows where the churches are and you're a secret Christian. If one of them gets beaten up, if one of them gets put in jail, it is the people of that church not the government, not the person on the street who will seek to take care of their needs as best as possible because there is a relationship there. And so if you look at the, I was hungry, there's, you know, six things. There's hungry, thirsty, sick, naked, stranger, and prison. This is not a list of something to do. You don't write the tattoo this on the back of your hand and say, so did I feed somebody today? Did I visit somebody in prison today? These are representative things that happened during a time of great persecution against Christians, and it is going to be the Christians who step up to take care of one another. There will be during, as in Jesus' day, as in the tribulation, the, the, the families that come to church will become more and more rare. It's going to be a lot more individuals who come to Christ who are kicked out of their family. And the only family they have is what the church offers. And so what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is saying to you and I is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are participating in a church then that will become evident in how you treat the church people. If you are an unbeliever and don't belong in a church, then you're treating the church people pretty bad, or at least ignoring them. And since we are the brothers and sisters of Christ, he takes it personally, apparently, according to this parable, when people of the earth that he has created, that he has died for, blow off the church people or don't care if we're hurting or if we're in trouble. And so this 
also is an indictment almost to those who say they believe in Jesus Christ but do not go to church. If a person claims to be a Christian, and I've known people, you probably know people, who have said that, who said, yeah, it's just God and me. I don't have to, I don't need church. Well, if you don't need church, how is this sort of evaluation in Matthew 25 going to sit with you? You could be a, you know, stand before Jesus and say, well, I I believe in you, I love you, God, but they have never said a kind word to another Christian their entire life because they don't know any. Especially today, the only place where you're, you're pretty much going to be set with all these people are like-minded concerning Christ. All these people are saved. All these people are going to be on the sheep side of this event. And we need to, of course, you're all going to be raptured, so you're not going to be there. These are people who get saved during the tribulation. Uh, but if the division was today... You would all be on the sheep side, and so we can support one another, we can love one another, we can be sure that if there is a need like hunger or thirst or sickness or prison or nakedness, that we would be there to do the best we can to help you and to be there with you. That is what a church promises, and somebody who does not belong to a church, doesn't know people in a church, they will never have that opportunity. And I think somebody can say, up and down, left and right, I love Jesus, no problem, great, I'm in there, I've accepted him, he's my Lord. But if I've never ever gotten to know church people so that I can support them, I think many of those people are going to end up on the goat side because Jesus will just say, you didn't take the time to deal with any brother or sister of mine who was over there in that building needing your help, needing your prayer, needing your visiting, and you just didn't have the time to do it. And the two places you go, one is you go, as it says, um, going around, gather the nations, and then it goes, and you place the sheep on the right, and the king come. In verse 34, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is not God just playing catch up. God doesn't see the world and go, oh my, what am I going to do? This kingdom of God that is going to be set up has been planned since the foundation of the world. That means before Genesis 1-1, when God created the heavens and the earth, he was doing stuff. He was planning. He was making everything that was going to happen in the far future with his people, the church people, with his people was going to be taken care of. And so there is a preparation even now, there is a preparation way back, that this kingdom that God is going to welcome us into is not going to be a haphazard, throw it together, do whatever sort of thing. It was prepared 
before he created the heavens and the earth. Okay, the heavens and the earth, we might say, is more of an afterthought than the kingdom that we're going to live in. It is prepared, it is solid, it is planned for, and God is planning for you to be in it. God knows from looking through history who is going to be there and who's not going to be there. This, this judgment that's here was known since the foundation of the world. God knows who's going to accept him during the tribulation. God knows who's going to be saved during the tribulation. So God knowing it all, judgment for him, it may be a surprise to us. People on both sides seem pretty surprised in this. They didn't realize the righteous, what they were doing was what God wanted. And the unsaved people didn't realize that not doing it was a violation of what God wanted. And so we just do what Scripture commands. We just do what the letters of Paul say, what things are said in the New Testament. We, we live in the church. We support the church. We love the people of the church because that is how we live out Christianity. There are songs, there are books which say, I am his hands, I am his feet. I, if I love you, it is Christ's love flowing through me to a relative of Jesus Christ. And it is that which will hold us together through any tribulation. It is that which will hold us together no matter how the world comes against the church. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we can look and say, yes, a judgment is coming, but we can look and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved and that in this salvation I am not going to be judged for my works, for you have died for all of my sins. And at the end of time, we will be welcomed in and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we praise you for that. And I pray that we will take these end time parables very seriously. That if anybody asks us, how do we know? We can point to Matthew 25 and say, because the Bible tells us so. Lord, we praise you for that. And ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.